This is the Straight Dope Podcast. I wanted to bang one out really quick and share a couple things with you. First of all, head over to milehighshooting.com and check out all of their offerings. I talk about them a lot. They're an awesome shop. They have all good equipment. If they carry it, you want it. Go to milehighshooting.com. They've got advertisements that have discount codes, sales, giveaways, you name it. Get what you need there. If you're out of state, they can ship it to you, including powder. They've always got Vitivore powder, Hogden powder, and other things. They've got Accuracy International. They have Night Force, Collis, Leupold, Zero Compromise, and other optics. And they are a one-shop stop shop for precision rifle shooting and pistol stuff. If you're in law enforcement, check it out. They've got a great blue label program and all of that stuff. Anyway, let's get back to a couple things. One, I'm writing a series of articles for Sniper's Hide, and they're going to go on to an online platform that I'm going to have some of these training courses on, like the 4 Plus 1 program that launched on RifleCraft.com, and it's pretty cool. It is starting with kind of the view that I have of building things from the ground up. It's like a rifle craft version of what do you need to work on first and build off of. Now, it's probably in line with a lot of other people's ideas, and it's probably not in line with a lot of other ideas because think about things my own way and build up. But that success is producing trophies and an incredible amount of high-performing shooters through the one-on-one coaching and the four plus one plus the 12 12 week program crew that's going through right now. So I'm really excited to be able to start layering in things like that. We also added to Sniper's Hide, and I'm probably gonna get Frank on soon and or get on his podcast to talk about the addition of air rifles, precision air rifles, not only to the courses that we're gonna be teaching, to the metrics on rifle craft, to the straight dope podcast, but also to Sniper's Hide. There's a whole section. So if you go to the Sniper's Hide Armory, we're going to be layering in detailed information about precision air rifles because there's a huge future for precision air rifle shooting. Not only is it amazingly cheap to shoot, but it exploits fundamentals and it's super fun. So if you're into rimfire, you might want to look into precision air rifles. Now, we're working on a project with Utah Air Rifle, so hopefully I'll have some things to say about Utah Air Rifle soon, but we will be spending a lot of time in the precision air rifle section of snipershide.com, and that is going to be fun. Hopefully I'll be able to get out there uh, this summer and do the Utah Air Rifle's giant match. It's like a five-day match out there this summer. Now, life's kind of thrown me a couple curveballs. I've got some family stuff going on, and my back finally came out. I've been fighting this back issue for five years, and it's been up and down and up and down, but the level finally went, and I'm going to have to have it fused. So um, that's kind of derailed a lot of my shooting personally, but I'm layering in now more coaching. So if you want to support uh, RifleCraft, you want to support things like here, go get a membership at RifleCraft.com. Not only do you get this and added metrics, emails, and so on and so forth, but you get a separate podcast called The Subcast. And I go into a little bit more detail about numbers and equipment there, which is pretty cool. Um, Just like this podcast, that one hasn't had anything out for a couple of weeks, but I am planning on getting back after it there and layering some things. So uh, 
So that's pretty cool. And then the 4 Plus 1 program has massive potential. It's designed off of the 12-week program and the one-on-one coaching that I've been doing. And people have been really crushing life that are into that. So that is some stuff coming down the pipeline in that avenue. Another one is that field matches have picked back up and people ask me a lot of questions about field matches. And although I've signed up for the last few matches, I haven't been able to go to them and I probably won't be able to go for a little while just considering the surgery and all that stuff. But somebody said, you know, will you walk me through your thought process on a stage? And that's a little bit hard to do, but I'm going to try to do that and see what's happening. So when, when I'm coaching somebody and when I'm working with people, the first thing when it comes to a field match stuff is, well, first of all, you got to be able to shoot. So I'm not going to talk to you about like getting better at shooting for a field match thing because this assumes that you know how to shoot and you're ready to go to a match. You want to fine-tune your process a little bit. So I'm going to kind of leave the shooting out of it. The one thing that slows people down in a field match really is not the shooting, but the time management, because time becomes a big factor. Now, I understand you get four minutes, or sometimes you get five minutes, sometimes you get six minutes on a shooting stage. Sometimes you don't necessarily have time, but you have to be fast because you're scored on your overall time. And what I find when I'm watching people is that sense of purpose isn't a high priority for a lot of people, or the time, there's like a time warp where you slow down to a baseline speed and that speed doesn't have focus and it doesn't have kind of a sense of urgency and knowing how to manipulate your equipment in a way that doesn't just waste seconds here and all of those seconds add up to time and usually towards the end of a stage you're either done early or wishing you had more time right so there's there's kind of no in between like you're either done early because you did everything great or you need a little bit more time and all that time you're going to make up with equipment familiarity. I call it workspace. So I call it your workspace. And if you're going to walk up to a stage now, typically, you know, you're either going to have everything slung or you got your rifle in your hand and everything else is slung. But when you start approaching, sorry, when you start approaching the shooting area, you need to understand how to remove your equipment and get it in a place where you don't have to move. So let's say you had like the ability to time lapse somebody on a stage and you just kind of watch that on fast forward and you just watch how much they wiggle, right? How much movement is there? I think a really good shooter, they're not going to move much. They're not going to be turning around to get in their pack. They're not going to be scooting two or three feet left, two or three feet right. They're not going to be putting things down and picking it back up. They're going to be very deliberate and they're going to be efficient with their motions. And so if you've got a well-developed workspace, you're going to minimize the number of movements that you have to do with your feet, with your knees, with getting into things. And it's going to look relatively smooth on something like high speed. I always put my rifle to the right. I always put my pack to the left, put my tripod in front of me, get the bag, get the binos. And that way, if I have to reach anything, I'm already at a level where I can reach and grab but I don't have to actually have to shuffle around and stuff like that. So I'm thinking about where's a good spot to have my workspace. Now, sometimes the shooting spaces are designated. And so you just put them right over the marker and you're good to go. The marker indicates exactly where your tripod needs to be, exactly where your rifle and head need to be to look for, look for targets. So that, that's pretty easy. But where you put your other stuff 
is going to save you seconds. Like you could lose 30 seconds just having to, you know, if you get to the stage, you drop your stuff, then you move up to the shooting area and then you got to go back to your stuff. You're going to lose 30 seconds there. And that 30 seconds is time that you can't afford to give up. So creating a good workspace and that comes from repetition. It comes from like what I'm doing with the people that I'm training. It is high repetition movements, creating the habits and the motor patterns associated with getting rid of all of the extra unimportant movements and refining, you know exactly where things need to be. You know exactly how you're going to grab them and how you're going to interact with them so that all of the time is dedicated to efficient movements and getting you onto your rifle to be able to take that shot. So I'm thinking about where am I going to set up my workspace? Secondly, I usually set up a position if I have the chance to be, if it, let's say there's four positions, or let's say I'm gonna have to move around, I figure out what the highest one is gonna be, and I usually set up for that, and I shoot from that high position across the board, and say, well, wouldn't that be crazy if you could shoot prone? Why wouldn't you go prone, then kneeling, then kneeling, then standing? And because the time that it takes to set up and transition between those types of positions, um, I usually don't. I usually go for, <clears throat> you know, what's the highest position that I have to shoot from, And I just shoot from that stupid position and I don't even worry about the other ones. And then when I train my fundamentals, I make sure that those positions that I'm shooting from are just as good as prone, right? So I don't have to worry about my shooting ability in those other positions because I've already trained those. Now, the one thing that you have a little bit of not control over, but awareness on, so you don't know where the targets are, right? So worrying about where the targets are is what a lot of people do. And I don't really worry about where the targets are if I'm not at the stage. What I'm worried about is trying to make sure that I'm getting the best feedback from the environment on a baseline wind speed so that I can think about making a wind call while I'm doing everything else so that I don't stop and go, okay, now I'm going to make a wind plan. I go up with the idea of you know, in general, wind's coming from a particular direction and it's moving at a specific velocity. And so in my head, I'm making a rough, you know, and and it's generally, you know, reasonably close. I don't know what direction the targets are, so I don't know the relationship of the wind speed and direction to the targets I'm shooting at. But if I know the wind speed and the direction that it's coming from, it's a very quick shift to how it's going to relate to my target. So I'm getting that baseline. And let's say that I'm shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor and at, um, you know, a six mile an hour wind is going to move it eight tenths at 800 yards, right? That's about, you know, kind of an average, you know, or 500 yards, it's going to move it five tenths or something like that. Sometimes people refer to that as the gun number where you know a wind speed and that wind speed is going to relate to a distance, right? So if you have a six mile an hour gun at 600 yards, one mile an hour is going to move it one tenth left or right. So a six mile an hour, a six mile an hour wind is going to move it six tenths. 10 miles an hour is going to move it one mil left or right. And so there's a relationship to the distance and the wind speed that you can get ahead of time. So if, if it's, let's say that, let's say my Creedmoor is a six mile an hour rifle. So it's, you know, so that, um, at 600 yards, a mile an hour is moving my bullet one tenth. Right? 
If it's a 12 mile an hour wind, it's going to move at 12 tenths or 1.2 mils. So a six mile an hour gun is really interesting because, or it doesn't matter what the, what the speed is, but what, what you need to know is that, that at that distance, so if it's six at 600, if it's an eight mile an hour gun, then you're talking about 800 yards. If it's a four mile an hour gun, you're talking about 400 yards. So we could even talk about, let's say a 308, that's a four mile an hour gun. At 400 yards, a mile an hour is going to move at a tenth. So an eight mile an hour wind is gonna move at eight tenths at 400 yards. So I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, okay, what's the wind speed and how much does a mile an hour move my rifle at, at that particular distance? And I'm going up and I'm thinking, okay, cool. That is, that's what, that's, that's assuming it's coming from three o'clock or nine o'clock. So I'm thinking about that already. I'm thinking about, okay, I need to get to the shooting position. So when they say go, I know speed that I can hustle at, get there unaffected by the movement, put my stuff in the, in the workspace, get my glass up and start looking at targets. Now, while I'm looking for targets, I'm keeping in mind the direction that the wind's coming in. And if there's a cone set up of, of where the targets are, I've already, I've already figured out, is the wind going to be coming from the right or the left, right? So that's knocked off as soon as you know that cone of fire. And... Or, or it's splitting it down the middle. Then I'm thinking, okay, there's that target. What is the direction? If the target is 12 o'clock, I'm not thinking about compass bearings. I'm thinking about if, the, if, if I drew a, a clock in the ground and I made that target 12 o'clock, which direction is the wind coming in from? And as soon as I know that, I can use Emil Praslik's method of you know, 25, 50, 70, or 75. 90, 95, 100% of the wind speed. And then I can whittle that down, right, to a wind speed. And then I can take the direction and the distance and I can have a rough estimate of where my wind is while I'm writing down my distance and referring to my dope. And then I'm going to, you know, if, if it's a competition dynamics match, I'm going to I'm probably going to shoot the biggest target. And then if it's a NRL hunter match, I'm probably going to shoot, I'm going to shoot at the first target, the one with the marker next to it. And I'm going to refine my wind call from there. But that's what I'm thinking about when I'm going up. And that's pretty much all I'm thinking about once I found the targets and I, I circle the distance on my arm board and then I note the direction that the wind's coming in, kind of like a little clock dial, right? So that so that the, so I have the target circled, and then I've got a little hash mark that says maybe you know eight o'clock or three o'clock or four o'clock. And then the next target, same thing. I'm looking at the thing, I'm keeping in mind the direction that the wind's coming in in general, and I make a little hash in terms of a clock face where it is coming across the uh, the target. And then the only other thing that's going on is that I start a stopwatch and I've got a timer coming down because I've got what I call a drop dead time where at two and a half minutes, right, I want to just shoot at the targets that I found because it's really easy to get sucked into looking for targets. And if you can't find one, you know, that that's like one of those too bad, so sad moments. But more often than not, people that don't find targets continue to look for them and they run out of time, not realizing that the time is ticking down really fast. So when that two and a half minutes hits, no matter what I'm doing, I shoot the targets that I found. And then if there's time left over, I can look for that last target. And once I switch to using a timer, 
uh, it became less common for me to get zeros on stages unless my trigger broke, uh, which, which happened at the finale last year on stage one. Uh, my trigger didn't even work on the first shot, so you know, I never got to shoot that rifle. Um, but, but after I started using a timer, I, I stopped kind of finding zero targets and was at least able to shoot at the targets that I found. And it's better to get a six out of eight or a four out of eight than a zero out of eight, having found three of the targets and just not shot at them. Then, um, once I've done that, I note uh, in the next staging area, I dial everything back to zero, I reload my mags, I get everything ready to go, and then I kind of try to say, okay, this is the wind speed that I was holding for from this direction, and so that you can kind of carry that wind management plan forward. Now, I'm going to stop here because I've got more I want to talk about, but I'm going to continue this for the subcast, I'm going to talk about actually a trick that I use for wind um, rather than wind speed that has increased my hit probability at those matches. And that's going to be on the subcast for the subcast. So if you want that, get a subscription to riflecraft.com and um, you get it. You get a subscription if you get one on one coaching, and you get a subscription if you get the four plus one. And you also get access to the Subcast podcast. But until then, I am going to switch over to that. Peace out.